Welcome to this week's edition of Record Roundtable, where we listen to a band or an artist or what have you. And this week we're talking about pavement. The band pavement, not the other kind of pavement. This is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with Jared. This is Tyler. And once again, this week we're talking about pavement. Who would like to start talking about pavement today? I will begin this uh, this little ordeal, this episode, uh, if you will. Uh, I had never really listened to pavement before, uh, other than I know their, their most popular song, which we will talk about. Uh, but... It was uh, pretty okay. Uh, it reminded me of some things that I like. For instance, uh, The Replacements kind of sounds a little bit like that. A little bit of The Lemonheads, who I like. Uh, I would not say that I'm like into them now. You know, like sometimes we listen to stuff and, uh, uh, you know, I, I get into it. Like John Prine was an example of something that I'd never listened to before. Now I'm a big fan. Sure. But, um,. It's I can see why people like pavement, uh, but it it it's it's not too bad. That's my thing. I could see not being like especially like for you. I could see not being like a hundred percent sold on it as compared to some other things that we've listened to. Tyler, uh, I like pavement. I've liked pavement for a while now, and uh, I think that they're pretty good. I'm not surprised that Jared would uh, like them at least a little bit. Because they kind of fit into that realm of stuff that he would like, and they fit into that realm of stuff that I like, and I think they fit into the realm of stuff that Caleb likes sometimes too. So mm-hmm. I think I think everyone will probably be there, right? Um, I can't. I don't know how long I've been listening to him, but it's been a while, and I enjoy basically everything about Pavement. And Stephen Malkmus, I like as well for the most part. You are you are um, a fan of his music. I, I am yeah. quite aware of like kind of your enjoyment of him, kind of long term. I know that you've mentioned, uh, I know that you've mentioned before how much you enjoy him, and I know that you've also because it's not like super popular, but is worth mentioning that he does have other music outside of Pavement. I'm pretty sure that you've kind of kept track of that as well. Yeah, he had his his. Like initial post pavement band the Jicks is actually like a oh like a rotating door collaborative almost although I think he's really still the driver of everything I think most people are kind of performers mm-hmm. um, and that's been kind of interesting we can talk about that a little bit maybe maybe towards the end during breakup because a couple of them actually have moved on to do a couple different things a couple of members of pavement uh, but then he also has on his own solo work most recently an album out last year with Matt Sweeney from Chavez so it's a pretty sweet album. Which definitely is something that you would latch on to, of course. Oh, yeah. It's good. So, for me, I think I'm I'm kind of in the middle between the two of you. I had not really listened to Pavement uh, as well. I have never gotten super into them. I think this is the first time, really, that I've listened to a lot of their music. I had listened to Crooked Rain, Cro- Crooked Rain in the past when I did kind of the, the large sum of albums in one year thing that I did. And it didn't totally land with me. Then I could see kind of the influence of where it came from and then what it influenced henceforth, because I do think in a lot of ways they have a large impact on what occurred throughout the nineties in the indie rock scene. And I think that that is a pretty significant thing in terms of where that trajectory went. Uh, but I did not necessarily get super into that album when I listened to it. Again, I, I saw the merit, but didn't love it. And now going through Pavement, I have a little bit more of an appreciation for them, but I don't think that they're one of the groups that I would like frequently come back to. I think that I appreciate Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain the most. I like what's going on on Slanted and Enchanted, but I will admit that really the other albums just didn't totally suit me a lot. I could see really uh, why it is that those two initial albums are really where a lot of people are kind of set on and why some of those other albums later in are maybe not 
as loved. I think that they are appreciated greatly by the fans that already exist within their realm, but I think that I understand why they didn't uh, hit in the same way for others, if that makes sense. Well, nothing really hit for anyone ever for a long time. What do you mean? Uh, I mean, they only hit mainstream with one song, a single from Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, and, but that's it. Sure. So they didn't hit mainstream with anything off their first album or anything else off Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. Um, and they didn't hit anything in terms of mainstream anywhere else over the course of their career up until, and this is like a difficult up until, but I mean, if you wanted to say more recently because of their most popular song on Spotify situation, and it's really just like mainstream within the realm of like indie rock radio mm -hmm. on the rock radio. So I think when I was saying that, and I see why you would take it the way that you did for sure. I think I was thinking more from a guess, a uh, both a critical and more of like the, um, the musically minded folks, if you will. So obviously mm. again, we're not musically always speaking. Minded. We're not always necessarily speaking directly to a mainstream perspective of music. We're also still talking about, those who dig deeper in the same way that like a neutral milk hotel is a very sure. popular group within the musically minded, but it's not as though they've ever crossed into the mainstream in a big way. Other well, than I think, like well, a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like then, but that's what I mean though, is that like pavement, I think are greatly appreciated by that kind of scene of people. For example, those who might frequent like the Rolling Stone top 500 albums or somebody who spends right. a lot of time on Pitchfork or whatever it might be. In, Payments in on which, there. In, in which case you'd have to in which case you'd have to also uh, in, as an amendment to your statement include Wowie's Alley, which is a very heavily regarded album by music minded people and Pitchfork and Rolling Stones 500 albums list. So is wow. Is that on there? Yes. In fact, Pavement is. One of there's it has three albums on there. Mm -hmm. The only there are only on the 2020 list twelve uh, bands who have more than three albums on that list. Huh. So Pavement has three. Kendrick has three. So and I'm the total board. of people who have three is right around twenty four ish okay. artists have three. Okay. I because so I didn't realize you know. Wowie Zowie was on that list. I, I yeah, guess I don't see Wowie Zowie as a top 500 album. Um, I think it's a, a formidable album. I don't think that it's, it's bad, but... It's actually higher than Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. Really? Yes. Wow, I did not know that. Wowie so, Zowie. It's my favorite Pavement album, and it's it's quite good. Do you think it's because of the experimentalism that is kind of on Wowie Zowie compared to some of the other things that are going on in Slant and Enchanted and Crooked Rain, Crooked yeah. Rain? It's definitely part of it. The diversity of it, I think, is part of why I enjoy it so much. But I not that I I really like the pavement stuff before that. I really like the style that they developed prior to that. Mm -hmm. But it's it's like Wowie Zowie is like full slacker, you know, in the terms of like, let's just do a bunch of things and just see whatever. Sure. You know what I mean? So I I think that's interesting. Yeah, I, I do. Again, I, I can definitely see the merit of Wowie Zowie kind of jumping ahead to that album in particular. I think that for me, there were just points where it didn't feel like all of the pieces fit in, like for when I was listening to it. And I listened to it a couple times just to make sure that I kind of felt that way. Um, and I do think that you know, Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain also has moments of diversity Obviously not as much as Wowie Zowie, but I do think that Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain does have points where things get a, a little bit weirder, uh, but not as much. You know what's funny? Uh, as we're talking about this with the Rolling Stone thing, uh, Rolling Stone gave that album a two and a half out of five star when it came out, and they called it Scattered and Sloppy, and that Pavement had turned in a handful of half-baked performances. Then they huh. later put it on the Rolling Stones best, 500 best album. It's so weird when they it's do that. so they, stupid. Well, the problem with, not to get deep into this one, we'll, we'll keep this very brief, yes. is the problem of a uh, website that is critical analysis from many, many different points. So whoever yeah. made the 500s, not the guy who yeah. wrote the Rolling Stones review of that but, album. But multiple uh, reviews gave it bad uh 
uh, that album bad reviews. Mm -hmm. So like the Guardian gave it a four out of five. Uh, That's not a bad review. L eight. No, 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 one out of one out of four. Sorry, I I don't know why I said that. One out of four, and the L.A. Times gave it a two and a half out of four. So it's like that's not Rolling Stone wasn't the only one. There's other uh, publications that gave it good reviews. Sure, but uh, yeah, it's it's kind of odd. But it, 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 I also see what you're saying. Like you know, Rolling Stone has historically given bad reviews to things. Then later they're like, this is the best album ever. Forget right. what we said twenty yeah. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is, is that's fair too, because I do think that pavement does exist kind of in that that kind of realm, where I do think that they were an underground indie band yeah. initially. So it makes sense that maybe people didn't all across the board latch onto it until later, and then when people started realizing the importance of the music that they made early in the '90s, and then saw how it like influenced things, they could go back and say oh, this is more important than we thought, so we should really regard this more, maybe even listen to this more. more. Also, after Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, which was basically just like an indie rock album that was very like straightforward, and that was like the what got them critical acclaim, and then their next album was experimental, messy stuff, and everybody's like, oh, this doesn't seem like they really tried. Right. Like what Beavis and Butthead said about Yeah. That. Yeah. Well, you know. But although the beavis, beavis, although the beavis and butthead comment was made from a song from Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. That's so. true, yeah, yeah. But, but so be it. Thus, the genesis of Slacker Rock. Yes, they did literally the two comments because they were on two separate songs. Yeah, on uh, "Cut Your Hair." Yes, was when they called it butt white music, and then yep. another one of their songs, though I do not remember which single it was, but they did say. While listening to it, they said, oh, these guys again or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they said that they don't seem like they're trying hard enough, mm-hmm. which is funny that that would be kind of the uh, the criticism that they For would Mike levy. Against. Yeah, because like he's they're basically saying like, oh, yeah, this is slacker music. And that is what a Beavis and a Butthead like in real world time would say. You would think they like that kind of music. No, because they like ACDC and Metallica. That's, That's true. true. Most people try. They try. Sometimes they try Supposedly. a little bit too hard. Well, yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure that I want to speak to the effort that ACDC puts in, but we'll, that's a conversation yeah. for another day. Um, Jared, did you... Hopefully we never have it. Jared, yeah. Jared, did you have an album? I, I'm assuming it seemed like you were agreeing with some of those later albums were not ones that you liked. Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain was the one I liked the most. Okay. Uh, I'll go ahead and have my song played so that we get that out of the way. Hit it. Um... I will have you play the first song off of Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, Silence Kid. It kind of reminded me uh, a lot of stuff from that album kind of reminded me like of uh, like classic rock stuff it's kind of interesting so i think that they i thought you were gonna say something else i was gonna be mad at you but i'm I'm not mad at you now kind of sounded like uh i don't know the like uh i don't want to say buddy holly no i was thinking like like uh like 70s classic rock like like uh elo or something like that you didn't hear that similarity in the vocal the melody the vocal melody i did a little bit yes it's just, it's just like Buddy Holly. I thought that's why you chose it, so I was oh. going to be mad at you. No, no, no. I didn't, uh, I didn't choosing pick it for such a petty did, reason, but I, I'm glad that you didn't. I didn't pick it because of uh, uh, Kurt Cobain. I mean, I mean Weezer. Oh okay. God, there it is. That was, a, that was a pretty long long joke that takes a lot of time uh, uh, of listening to us to really you get, get to? all yeah. of the things that you just did there. Because not only do you have to know about the Kurt Cobain <laughs> being him yeah uh you also have to know that weezer's the one who made the buddy holly song well we never covered weezer away. though that's true so you wouldn't have to have listened to us to know yeah we did we covered nirvana oh okay yeah i said it back again Anyways. uh yeah i don't know it was a uh, it's an interesting album i think that they do definitely show the influence of 
you know, classic rock. I think that they clearly are the, one of those big, kind of like how when you sometimes you go back a couple decades and you can see how the music that was popular a couple decades ago is now impacting the music that people today are making. And I think that you can see that those were the people who were listening to kind of classic rock, you know, 15 years ago. And now they're older and can say, now we're making music that's based off of some of those things. You know the band The Fall? They're an English rock band. Yeah. Tyler, you know them? I'm aware. Where where go? Did you know that uh uh they were compared Pavement was compared to The Fall and uh initially. Uh, initially. And uh, somebody I assume their lead singer named it Canneberg, but I missed the first name or maybe the last name. I don't know. He uh said that that's- Scott, he preferred the band The Replacements and that he said that Pavement were a ripoff of his band and they didn't have an original idea in their heads. All right. You've 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 absolutely butchered your reference. No, I didn't. I just read it. Yes, because Scott Kinberg is the guitarist for Pavement who's saying he prefers the replacements over the fall and that the fall are saying that oh, Pavement are full ripoffs of their band. It. I'm confused. And are totally. That <laughs> huh? OK, so, well, maybe get rid of that whole thing then. Or you, I could say the whole thing again. Maybe you could say it this time. Just say it. Just say it. I copied and pasted, and I didn't do a very good job, apparently. Ah, oh, so he prefers the replacements over the fall. Yes, but the falls. Marky Smith claimed that pavement were a ripoff of the fall. Okay, and that they didn't have the original idea on their heads. Now that that was for that's an enchanted. You know, so that's like the first dem- the first few demo uh, EP things. Mm. Uh, but once Slant Enchanted came out, they kind of people saw that it was not quite as much as they thought it was like the fall. And then by the time Crooked Rain came, Crooked Rain came out, people were like, "It's not really like that anymore, is it?" Uh, yeah, like, yeah. No. I listened to because I've listened to the fall before, and I kind of reflected on their sound, and I didn't see why those comparisons were made at such a degree. Like, right. I was listening to the early stuff and said, I can see parts of it, but not enough that you would have that much of a controversy over it. Does the fall but... sound like the replacements? No, I don't think so. Caleb, you've listened to both. No. I don't think so, no. Okay. I mean, the the fall doesn't have the kind of, like, slightly more anthemic alt-rock thing right. You know, right. that the replacements have. There's What's a, also funny about there's a reason the that the replacements uh, gained a lot more traction than the fall did in right. the states and pavement <laughs> and pavement yes and pavement. Uh, it's funny too though as well because they so in their first recordings they recorded with Gary Young, who was a guy kind of a, a someone they knew as a friend who kind of had his own studio that I guess wasn't super great, but he kind of like worked on their first things. And Gary said that this Malkmus idiot is a complete songwriting genius. Huh. About that's, during the early work, which is funny. That's somebody they, they worked did. with, or is that huh? the, Gary? It Young? was Gary, Gary Young, who initially was uh, just a producer for the early stuff, which would have been just Malkmus and Canberg, uh-huh. and then eventually became drummer for the first album and you know subsequent tours before being booted. I got some. Drink. I got something about Gary Young. It's one of my favorite right. things I've read in a while. So Gary Young, as you said, was the drummer. And apparently he also said he's a genius or something. Uh, yeah, he con- said Malkmus was a genius. Yes, yes. He had a very uh, eccentric behavior during concerts, and he would uh, stage incidents such as handing out cabbage and mashed potatoes to fans yeah. at the door of the venue. He would do mm-hmm. handstands and drunkenly fall off his drum stool. That's fun. Yeah, I, I saw. I, I figured that you would bring up the uh, the, the, the mashed potato passing. <laughs> I hope he did it barehanded. No plate. Instead yeah, of would he have a guy with a bowl and a spoon at the door? <laughs> just like giving him take a bite if you want in. It's not of, in these COVID days. Instead of take uh, catching a drumstick, you what do you get? you get a cabbage? Oh, cabbage. I figured that maybe they actually passed a drumstick to go with the mashed potatoes oh. and the and the cabbage, of course. I also read in, in like sentiment that he would, while the rest of the band was playing, he would just get up and walk around the venue, huh. like in the crowd. That doesn't surprise Which is not the ideal thing for a drummer, a drummer, the person keeping beat yeah, and tempo okay. to do. That's, right. I can see why he's out. Well, I yeah. think that that was when, I think that the way that they kind of discussed that was that was when they started realizing how bad his drinking problem was. Right, and I do wonder. We, I think we've covered quite a few people before where this has been an issue, where someone within the band 
inevitably has to leave because of some kind of drug or alcohol issue. And I do wonder what that self-reflection is like for them that like, Oh yeah, I was almost a part of something that was really important in music, but I let alcohol kind of push me away from being able to be really a part of it to some degree, yeah. you know, mm. but it's funny. Cause uh, what I read, and I, you may have read it too, but basically at the end of a tour in Copenhagen, they all sat down in a meeting in a hotel room and every member except for, I believe Bob Nastinovich, who is like Gary Young's best friend just sat there while Nastinovich and him argued and Nastinovich told him how unnecessary all of his actions are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone else just shut their mouths and sat there in the He's middle of it friend. all. your friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Yeah. They're, they're an interesting group of people too. I feel like uh, Tyler, you would probably be the most efficient person to have this conversation. If we're kind of talking about the uh, personalities of the group is just Stephen Malkmus as a guy in general. Because he's, yeah. he's he's definitely a, a character in many ways. He's kind of a, uh, he's just a weird dude to an extent, but yeah, his he he was overarching in the group. That's the reality of it, and it, it I find it kind of difficult to deal with his personality in the band <clears throat> because he didn't really want. If in the end, with their last album, uh, uh, Terror Twilight, everything is a Malkmus song on there. Mm-hmm. He wrote every single song, and Scott Camberg was like not happy about it, and he had a whole little pouty fit about how none of his songs were on there. What, you know, so be it. So I don't know. In terms of like his actions in the group, uh, as time went on, his his quest for control for me is difficult to bear with. Sure. But I don't know. What what are you thinking? You have some thoughts about it. You have some things that you want to particularly bring up to talk about how goofy is. Not necessarily. I know that. So me and Jared sat down and we watched him on a "What's in My Bag." Jared was <laughs> on it from Amoeba Records. Yes. Yeah. So yep. Jared was talking about it initially, and then we were watching it. Uh, I think Jared's first take was him just like picking the most obscure possible options, which is always really fun when like someone will come on there and they just like. They just tear it up and just like they go through and they just pick up random stuff. And for whatever reason, they have such a deep understanding of those things you've never heard of before. Uh-huh. Um, but the other thing that I realized was that he is that kind of guy who I guess sees himself in a very important light. Not to say that it's not to some degree justified, but I do think he's gotten kind of a big head. Uh, yeah. Cause the way that he talks about things, he does, he does have that kind of, self-importance about him like he talks about how like oh yeah like it's not just a oh this is what i think i like it's more of a this is what makes music good kind of way he approaches things mm-hmm. i guess yeah I, th- I mean i don't disagree i think that came out in the in the group and i think if you look at it's clear too if you look at the continuation of his career because his even his work with the jicks are is not fully um cooperative Mm-hmm. You know, it's still just like the next thing that Steven is doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's so, literally called Steven Malkmus and the Jicks. So it's not right. It's not like the Jicks. Like he kind of put his name on it to say, hey, look, it's me. You know, there was one album he did with the Jicks where they all played in different songs. But I don't think any the whole band played in one song on the entire album. Oh, really? So it's more of just yeah. like a revolving door of you can come in when I tell you you can come in. Right. Well, I, and I don't know to what degree it was like him saying that's when you're going to come in or just being like, here's where something fits. Do you want to do it or whatever? You know, right. It was face the truth. It's funny because it's not listed as a Stephen Malkmus and the Gyps out al- Jicks album on Spotify. But if you search Stephen Malkmus and the Jicks on Pitchfork, it is listed and it's the only of the albums that they gave best new music. Which is just kind of interesting, but it was face face the truth. He had recorded it alone in his basement, and each member play on at least one song on the record. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I guess just overall, you know, you can, and I think that in a lot of ways, like again, you kind of mentioned that this was something that was um, evident in their recording time early. I think that some of that does also come out, and I think that that to me, I could be wrong, of course. But I think to me, that's part of where the issues start arising later in their career, 
because I think that by the time they had gotten kind of through the wowie zowie period of time, I think that you can kind of see almost an evident just kind of um, almost like an exhaustion of just like, I don't really want to do this anymore. You know? Yeah. Um, I don't think, I don't know. I guess like it still sounds similar, but I guess you just don't see as much of a shift by bright in the corners or terror twilight where, uh, like with Wowie Zowie again, it's kind of a you know let's try a lot of different things. Yes, we are being slacker, but we're also really putting a lot of effort into trying things like punk, right. and maybe like country country influence and whatever it might be. But then later, it's like, well, you know, why even care? Is to almost agree of how I get the impression, I guess. Yeah, well, Bright in the Corners is almost just kind of like uh, cleaned up um, Crooked Crooked Rain in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, so it sounds more, it sounds like more standard pavement, but it's a little bit cleaner sound. I don't know. It's, I think it's a pretty good album. Uh, most people would say it's still pretty good. Most of the people who talk about in terms of like pavement albums, it's not as good as the first three, a lot of people would say, but a lot of people still enjoy it. I think that sometimes, and it, this was mentioned by uh, Steven during an interview or something of that nature, it, the influences in the classic rock arena are more apparent on bright in the corner mm. and he did mention that on that album he's trying to show that uh we listen to uh like we listen to classic rock too we can be more on the classic rock if we want to or something like that you know yeah so um particularly for me one song that stood out as like this is clearly sounds like something i've heard before is transport is arranged the third song which to me sounds like a lou reed song Chills. Well, I've been thinking for days about the means and the ways that I could hate all I touch. I know you're my lady, but I could trickle, I could flood. So, yeah, I, I think it's just apparent that there's some some of the influences that maybe were not as like visible before, I think are a little more visible there, sure. especially because some of the early stuff is like really more. Um, like kind of fuzz oriented in the guitar, you know, yeah, the, the yeah. guitar textures change a little bit. You know? I got a lot of er, like early on, I could see that they kind of started out with the influence of what was going on, obviously kind of in that like late eighties, early nineties shift of like Pixies and Sonic youth kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you could see that that obviously was where they kind of started and that they started to kind of dip in different directions from then on. But Slanted and Enchanted, I got a lot from those two. Uh, But we have spent a lot of time talking about, like, what their influences are themselves, but I feel like it would also be worthwhile at this point, perhaps, to start talking about what influences they then had going forward. Like, what kind of groups or artists do you see? um, Even, it it could have been... um, pretty immediately or it could be long term who you think that maybe like things shifted because of what they did sure jerry do you want to you want to start with this you got anything i don't really have anyone so you can go ahead i don't like i can't think of anything like right off the top of my head yeah like that so i'm sure you have things and then whatever you say i'll probably have something that kicks into overdrive so it's pretty evident anyone who's an indie rock fan it's pretty evident that this is kind of like the beginning of some of those sounds um for me before i found pavement i i really enjoyed modest mouse which to me was the earliest music that i personally listened to that had some of those sounds uh until of course getting into pavement but it's obvious that maybe you know modest mouse may have some of those like i've listened to some of that early stuff and has some of those sounds but like really a lot of what we know as indie rock especially in the in the the golden era indie rock of the mid nineties, mid to late nineties, uh, had, had some kind of influence from early pavement stuff, which I think is pretty clear. Mm -hmm. Um, another interesting thing in that, in regards of who they, um, influenced, uh, I'm using Apple music now, as you know, sure. And Apple music has this thing, uh, where they have artists playlists, which Spotify has as well, but they have ones called influences and inspired. So it shows influences into this sound, the sound of pavement, and uh, stuff that is inspired or maybe inspired by it. So okay. I, it's that's, only a, like, that's a pretty cool feature. 
It is pretty cool. So it's like a, I don't our, know. Our new sponsor, Apple Music. See you later, Spotify. <laughs> oh, so I mean, uh, you know, they suck anyway. But uh, this has their, this playlist has 15 songs on here and some of all from different artists, of course. And I'm going to read a couple of them because I'm going to read the ones I agree with and then some of the ones I think are interesting and I want to see kind of what you all feel about it. So For sure. I'll um, see it because I've got a couple that are in my mind and I want to see which ones that you say and then I'll see which ones I can fill in the gaps for. Sure. So the first one that I found was interesting that I didn't think about about it because they've really only got uh, like one huge album that I've listened to and that's the band Yuck. You all have ever listened to them? I've heard of Yuck. I don't know how much of them I've listened to. They're kind of they kind of remind me of like a modern pavement almost because they have similar uh, guitar tonalities and textures and the playing style. Their debut came out in 2010, uh, and it's and they're like not super well known. So I'm like, okay, well, this all kind of fits. Um, ones that I found interesting are Blur. Okay, I don't know about that one. Uh, maybe in like some later Blur work, I could see maybe some stuff. You know, as it gets like into out of the Britpop, but before it hits pre Gorillas. You know, mm-hmm. around 13-ish, maybe there's some stuff in there. Uh, Weezer's on this list, which I think makes sense to a degree. I I had Weezer in my mind in certain aspects. I, I have right. kind of an overarching, but I'll keep, uh, keep going, please. Uh, one on here that I really think is interesting and I think is, is a good pick, um, but it takes like a little bit more to dissect and is Parquet Courts. I... A little bit. I could see where yeah. some of the tonality in Parquet Courts would kind of go in that direction. Yeah. Modest Mouse, of course, is on here, which makes sense. Speedy yeah. Ortiz is on here, which makes a lot of sense. Speedy Ortiz is, I could see, definitely being influenced by Pavement. Kind of, yeah. I could see that. Maybe, like, especially early Pavement to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, early Pavement, and then I think Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain would be in a period as well that... I could see Speed Ortiz. And then this is one that I just found was interesting on this list that I thought I want to see what you have to say. Mostly Caleb, because I think Caleb is one to listen to him. Animal Collective is on here. I don't know about that. I don't know about that either, but it's on that. here for some reason. Now, I wonder if it doesn't have something to do with um, the album that Stephen Machmus released in 2019, which is Groove Denied, and it's an electronic album. So oh, I don't know if maybe this is like somewhat self-generated through algorithms or mm-hmm. if someone's actually doing some work here although i would assume it's just algorithmic so yeah potentially something touched one place in the music verse in apple music and one thing touched another place and they put that in there that but. could happen um i think this is even kind of a broader one but i can kind of um pick out more specific instances but i do think that overall and this is more of the the big influence that they had is that i think that pavement on the underground scene started to push forward what would happen in the 90s which really is kind of the slacker movement i've often tried to figure out how to conceptualize what the 90s mainstream rock music sounds like and it really is kind of that slacker sound to a degree so some of the early ones that i thought of that obviously took pieces of this would be um early beck who definitely um, was inspired by that early slacker movement. He's in the same kind of ballpark as a pavement. And I'm sure that he probably was aware of pavement and probably picked up some things when he was doing his music. Yeah. He, he was actually a guest in, I don't remember if it was a Jix album or if it was a later pavement album, but he was a guest artist on one of those. Gotcha. That doesn't surprise me really. Uh, Another one that probably wouldn't be thought of as much because of what happens later is early flaming lips. Uh, I could think of kind of how their sound has that same kind of similar uh, slacker-ish kind of sound, same kind of form of indie rock, but obviously we don't remember that form of flaming lips as much because of kind of the weirdo direction they went by like the early 2000s. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah the stuff that got big doesn't really reflect some of that early work. Right, but I mean, I could even like, if you went with like, uh, she don't like jelly, like one of their mm-hmm. early popular, a little bit of a, you know, a pavement within that. But sure. even other things like the bigger mainstream stuff, a lot of like the big hit kind of groups that didn't necessarily make a big impact outside of maybe a few hits. So like 
you know, it, it's not as evident again, but like a blind melon, you know, like who have a similar kind of like slacker ish, just obviously in a very different kind of sound, but just that, I guess, kind of uh, devil may care kind of um, mentality, I think transcended in a way where like, it's not just about the sound of pavement, but even the approach of pavement that influenced groups like that. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's the, I mean, it's, it's like a movement. Yeah. You know, that's not just about like tonality or whatever, or singing, even though this, even though I think the vocal delivery and singing has like a lot to play into it, but it's like a whole idea. Um, one thing that I found that kind of talks about some of that is a list of the top 10 slacker rocks of all time by someone who's created their own slack rock, slacker rock, uh, blog on the internet. Cause you can do that. Of course. Uh, number one is pavement. Big surprise. Right. Uh, guided by voices is number two. Okay. Num- number three, which a band that I really enjoy that does fit into here. Uh, number three is Beck, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Number four is Modest Mouse. Yep. Number five is Granddaddy. I don't know if you all have ever listened to Granddaddy. It's been a while, but yeah, I'm it's familiar with Granddaddy. Six is Built to Spill. Okay. Yeah. Another group in that era. And actually a group that I, mean, I really enjoy Built to Spill, but kind of ran into things maybe a little bit late, like in the early 90s, a little bit later, a little bit after pavement that potentially also have a decent amount of pavement stuff going on. Uh, keep it like a secret that the big one is a 99 release, for mm-hmm. instance, which is when pavement broke up. So yep. it's obvious there's some pavement in Built to Spill, uh, which is really big for, once again, the underground, if you will, or at least lesser known movement of that time and even into the two, early 2000s i would agree yes because i i also uh, have spent some time with that group as well not not as much obviously as pavement now but they yeah. have also gotten my attention seven is silver jews i was i was wondering when we would mention silver jews because you can see yeah. that there was definitely some form of a relationship between Malkmus and uh of course david berman so yeah well i mean Steven was on four, three or four albums, Silver Jews albums as a guitarist. And I don't know how much contribution he had as a writer, mm. uh, but I'm sure he it, tried. I, well, I certainly think about when I've listened to uh, American Water, I think about I can in the guitar that it, in the lead guitar, which I'm assuming is what he's playing. It sounds like him playing, mm. you know, so maybe it's more of a tonal thing and a uh, and a playing thing you know this sounds like him on guitar sure and it is it's kind of interesting too because i feel like malkmus and berman are both very much kind of in the same field of guys who had an influence on some of the underground scene of music but virtually no one knows their name like and i think that berman it's interesting because berman passed away in 2019 and a lot of people started to pick up and learn about oh silver jews because that was right around when purple mountains started then they did the one album right before he passed away and i think that people really liked that purple mountains album and were like oh he's got other stuff and they started going back and finding silver jews stuff and they said oh this silver jews thing sounds like stuff i like now you know right well, the, are you aware of the story of Silver of both of those? I guess Silver Jews and Purple Mountain. Uh, I'm I would not say enough to speak on it, so please. So David Berman and uh, Stephen Machmus were both um, nighttime security guards. It, when this is when Stephen Machmus was living in New York City, it was an art museum in New York, and they were both nighttime security guards, and they were both living in Hoboken, New Jersey, at that same time, Wait. along with. I'm sorry. Whitney Museum of American Whitney. Art. Yes. I think Ben Stiller uh, works there. There you go. Um, it was on a, It's a contemporary art museum, so it's not quite. But uh, sometimes, the, uh, they the David, also, sometimes the David Berman uh, wax figure will actually start moving around while he's there. Oh, my. It gets kind there of you go. Uh, Bob Nastanovich, also of Pavement, lived in Hoboken as well. So those three are the three. Basically, they just started doing home recordings. Yeah. And that's how Silver Jews began. So uh, Bob Nastanovich was on the initial, the first debut Silver Jews release, and then Stephen played on the first two or three, and then missed one and came back for the following one. Okay. So it was. It seemed, and I don't know. That's where I'm laying. I don't know how much writing is in that stuff of in terms of like those guys. Sure. You know, I don't know how much of it is just David Berman, how much of it isn't. You know, 
but they were there from the beginning. Right. So there was a pavement-esque idea in the beginning of Silver Juice, and they started around the same time. So It looks like at least for the first album and the second album, David Berman wrote everything from the Silver Juice. American Water looks like, Oh, Malkmus actually helped write one of the songs on... Um, no, two. Two songs on American Water. He was a part of the, the writing process. I'm not sure if they're the ones that you were thinking of. It looks like uh, Federal Dust and uh, Blue Arrangements are the ones that Malkmus were, was involved in the writing process of. Right. There you go. Well, he performed on all of those those first three as well, as long oh, and on Tangled Tanglewood Numbers. Which, But Silver Jews was kind of a rotating cast of people as well, actually. Sure. So it was kind of collaborative in a regard in terms of performance and, and playing uh, in terms of recording as well. So, well, even on then, the, on the debut album, Sanovich and Malkmus were both credited. Um, Silver Starlight album. Walker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew that the first one had all three of them. And then from there on, it got kind of, which of course they would be busy with other things. Uh, as for purple mountains, the interesting little story about purple mountains is mm-hmm. at one point in like 2017, I think if I remember correctly, uh, Bob Nastanovich posted a picture of himself, Stephen, and uh, David Berman practicing. It was like silver juice stuff, maybe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, then David Berman comes out and is like, this is completely fake. And then he releases Purple Mountains. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> or, or announces that stuff. And it wasn't like, you know, all day after day, but it was like, this isn't real. And then it comes on to be like, this is what we're working on. So, yeah, it's interesting. Cause again, I like, I was also one of the people who was not aware of silver Jews until that purple mountains album came out. I liked that purple mountains album, learned about Berman saw he passed away, learned about silver Jews and had no idea there was a relationship between them and pavement until really this week. So oh, nice. we all learn new things as we go. That's right. I have a, I I want to talk about a, an interesting relationship, and that is uh, Pavement's relationship with the Smashing Pumpkins. Oh yeah, right. that's an interesting. Let's one. talk about it. So uh, there's a lyric in a Pavement song. Uh, the song is called uh, "Range Life,", Range Life. and yep. the, it's in the third verse. And in the song, they say, "Out on tour with the Smashing Pumpkins, Nature Kids. I they don't have no function." I don't understand what they mean, and I could really give a fuck. And then, in the next line, they talk about, they say, the Stone Temple Pilots, they're elegant bachelors. They're foxy to me. Are they foxy to you? I will agree they deserve absolutely nothing, nothing more than me. So they both uh, talk about the, the Stone Temple Pilots and the Smashing Pumpkins. And for that lyric, it got some beef between uh, Mr. Billy Corgan and uh, Stephen Malkmus. Famous, so, famous wrestling producer. No, 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 no. So much so, so famous uh, roller coaster aficionado. <laughs> we <laughs> go on. So much so that it, uh, they were supposed to play. Pavement was gonna play at Lollapalooza, and uh, supposedly, the Smashing Pumpkins said, "If they're there, we will not play." Yeah. All this sound correct to you, Mister Mister Tyler? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it sounds like I know the story, and the story sounds accurate. It sounds just like something Billy Crocker would do. He's a big old baby. Yeah. So uh, they also did ruin Lollapalooza at one point. So they have a oh, yeah. relationship yeah. with Lollapalooza. Yeah. So Machmus has said that uh, the line was meant to be lighthearted and is sung from the point of view of an aging hippie character in the song. Of course. Well, did you? I didn't. I mean. Does it sound like a story song? You know, not really. He probably just wanted to squash it, but yeah, I, I watched this whole video about it. Uh, talk Billy talking, and then Malkmus talking, and mostly Billy. Billy was real uh, butthurt about it. Really, he would be. Uh, but he's a sensitive guy. He is a sensitive guy. Well, the thing is, and it was funny. Malkmus uh, was talking about the Smashing Pumpkins, and uh, it's just in like so pavement. Uh, were coming back, supposed to come back this last year and mm-hmm. do a reunion thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it got postponed due to uh, the pandemic. But Malkmus criticized the Smashing Pumpkins because they kept going on these farewell tours where it's only like a couple of the members and the whole thing was just like 
so that people would go see the Smashing Pumpkins because Billy couldn't sell it without selling it some other way. Right. And now Pavement's coming back in a similar vein. And so, like, the criticism that they threw at the Smashing Pumpkins is now a bit of pie in the face back to them, mm. potentially. But it's like, well, I mean, you got to, if you're going to come back and do something, like, okay, we've, it was supposed to be like some kind of anniversary, I think, last year, but now the anniversary. 30th. Yeah. But I think what you're saying is is that the Smashing Pumpkins are a trampoline and Stephen Malkmus is the glue and what bounced off of them uh, stuck to you. Yes. I see. Yeah. P- potentially. Potentially. As I do believe, if I remember correctly, uh, that the lineup for the 2020, now 2021, reunion um, is all of the people. Okay. Is all so I think that which is kind of different than like you know second drummer I assume, right? Well, Gary <laughs> Young may be taking part in some of it because what happened is basically I mean, someone's got to be there to pass out the mashed potatoes <laughs> after right. all. <laughs> this is supposed to be just like it used to be a long time thirty years ago. Gary Young was passing out potatoes to people, and if he doesn't do that today, yeah, it won't be a thirtieth. There'll be a couple fans out there like you know I. I really am excited to see Pavement, but I'm just so hungry. <laughs> and I thought that he was going to be here with the potatoes. Also, just to be clear, we okay. are focusing on the potatoes because nobody would come to the show excited for the cabbage. cabbage. Yes. Nobody wants right. it. Nobody wants that. Where, you can't, it. Where is this show supposed to be? Because I don't. it's not a tour. I think it was going to be at a festival it was, or something. Yes, right? it was a Primavera, Primavera Sound Festivals in Barcelona and Porto. It was two oh. different locations of the Primavera Sound Festival. Huh. So in far away. So, yes, in Spain. Why would they do that there? Are they big in Spain? Um, I don't know. I just don't think it really. I mean, I think that with Spain and Portugal, I think they're just like, well, we'll just do it here, I guess. Maybe it was a anyone... test run, and then they'll do it like later. They've a lot of groups have done that where they. So do... I don't, yeah, but I don't know if they're going to. Like, I don't really think in the in the their 2010 reunion, mm-hmm. they kind of had a little bit of that. Like, we'll play a couple shows and come back. Mm-hmm. But no, I think people. I don't think anyone involved is that interested in performing with each other long term. Yeah, you know, kind of what spurred this reunion. And what seems to have potentially spurred the last one is just like people being at Stephen Malkmus and the Jix shows and like Scott Canberg was at one of some of those shows and he's like, come up and why don't you play with me a few of these shows. So like people kind of like just playing in on different people's sets a little bit and they're just like, well, I mean, I guess if we can do this, maybe we can just do that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything that's like, let's do it because we can be a band again. And, you know, because from from the dissolution of the band initially in 99 and the mentality and continued songwriting progression of Stephen Machmus, I don't think there's any real interest in actually being a band anymore. Yeah. I read a uh, reunion period. I read something about like how kind of the breakup kind of like how it happened and how everybody kind of figured out is like somebody was on the phone with Malkmus and they were like, Hey, uh, you need to put on our website that we're broken up. And he was like, yeah. "You do it." <laughs> and he's like, well, yeah. this, well, this is all weird. Like, no, yes. you. Well, I mean, he's like, "I had to read on the internet that our band's broken up." Yeah, one of them was like, <laughs> "No one ever told me." So, yeah, it was. That's what I read too. That it was. I mean, it was just a mess of like, uh, I don't want to do it. Uh, so it says we're still banned online. So you should probably do something about it. And everyone being like. Maybe you should go tell everyone we're not. Then he's like, maybe you should just tell everyone we're not. It sounds like their communication is very poor with each other. Yeah. I just think that I think um, that, well, here's an anecdote that describes it. Supposedly at their last ever concert, but prior to the 99 breakup, Mm -hmm. uh, it was known that it was their last concert. Like they had already decided the band was essentially done with, I believe, although they had never officially told each other apparently, but you know, Steven that said that I like I don't want to do this anymore. He had on his mic stand a pair of handcuffs. Yeah. And at the end of it, he said, This is what is has been like being in this band for all these years. So fun, I think he felt a fun lot of commentary with your friends. That this is right. after this is after he created an entire album without the other members' input. 
No, no, this is that was a, a Jix album. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Well, I mean, well, yes, I thought that I read actually. that. An, I thought that I read that another payment album. He basically did everything. The last one he did. That's yeah, what the I'm, last one. He so did. like, yeah. that that mentality of uh, oh yeah, you guys really brought me like you didn't do. They didn't do any. That was like uh, was is isn't there a Queen album where like Freddie did everything, and then they just called it a Queen album. Some, there's something like that. I feel like I, or in maybe the movie it was the Black Sabbath that, album. Maybe it was the Black Sabbath. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh. The uh, the Black Sabbath album with um, the guitarist uh, Tony Iommi that was gonna be the solo album, and then they didn't think it would sell, so they just put Tony Iommi's Black Sabbath. But it's an album that he made yeah. without any That's input funny. from anybody else from Black Sabbath. That sounds right. right. Yeah, I knew it had, it had something to do with something. So, but, yeah. by the way, Jared. Is there any connection to this story on why you have handcuffs on your microphone stand? Uh, no, it's those are from your you. You, oh, you I did see. that with a. Uh, oh, no. I, always, I always forget to put those away. <laughs> he's, been re- he's been recording <laughs> all if It's on Patreon. Caleb Robinson's creating a podcast. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not on Patreon. It's, it's Patreon. on my OnlyFans account, <laughs> oh, actually. No. Oh my! Oh, it's video as well, huh? I mean, yeah, you got to. No one's gonna high quality. Just... You just want this high quality audio. You've got two mics set up. Yeah. You know, you're syncing them up together. Well, I was just gonna buy Let's the see. pictures. Yeah, I don't think that. I think the handcuffs <laughs> and the mentality getting back on track every. Oh, yeah, 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 please. That, that uh, he had during that. Well, I don't believe it was about like these guys. These people have been holding me back. I just okay. think it's about like I feel creatively restrained yeah, and yeah, have yeah. for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I have to make concessions to my band because, like, that's what you're supposed to do. And that has, like, really stunted me creatively or not allowed me to. Because he immediately went out, like, literally informed the Jicks right afterwards. Right. It's funny to me, all of those alt-rock bands, uh, all, like, the lead singers leaving and creating solo albums. Like, I'm thinking, like, Evan Dando of the Lemonheads did that. And Paul Westerberg did that. But no, only... How many of them had any kind of like actual success? Like none. Like not even well, Eddie Vedder could really have success no. as Eddie Vedder. Mogmas is successful post. Just as successful as Pavement in terms of like his, the Jicks music is still, listen, it's not about influence. All right. It's too early for influence. That his last album mm-hmm. that I, that came out that I quite enjoy uh, was well ranked by critics and is well received, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and even his debut in the Jicks, i.e., just a Stephen, Mal- it's only called Stephen Malkmus. So, mm-hmm. is it a Jicks album? People are unaware, mm-hmm. uh, but it also got good reviews. So, critically, mm-hmm. it's it. In, and in fact, as mentioned, uh, the album that he wrote, he recorded in his basement, got best new music on Pitchfork, and also had great critical reviews. So, his, his, the success he has seen as an artist post Pavement is equal to Pavement's success. In this far, critics and people who like music have enjoyed it and said it's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, n- he didn't receive large uh, uh, commercial success. Nobody would because payment didn't. Have, he's not, yeah, he's not going to have success, commercial success outside of payment. If not even payment could do that. That's right? my point, right? Yeah. He didn't have it before, and he doesn't have it now. But the yeah. success he previously had, he was able to maintain. Yeah, but I don't think that any of Malcolm's albums stand the test of, well stand the test of time in the same way that Pavement's first two or even three albums did. And that's not even just about the influence, that's also more about like you can say, "Oh yeah, like they received that album well." But critics, I mean not to, you know, not to fault it, but critics find worth in a lot of albums. You know, like there's a big difference between I liked this album and gave it an 8.3 Versus this is one of the most important indie rock albums of all time. So I don't feel like you can quantify those two on the same level. I think that you can say that creatively he has done well and has made music that people enjoy. But I would not put those two on the same platform, even if it's a case that critics enjoy both of them. Well, that's not even what I'm arguing. We're arguing success post band. We're not arguing you have made now the biggest album ever. And, you know, we're not. And that's not even what I'm talking about is Mm -hmm. that. But the uh, other what I'm thing, talking about is you can maintain its success afterwards. Yeah, he he has maintained success afterwards, regardless. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're always going to be judged on your previous things. That's part of the thing as well. Yeah. You know, so if he were to come out and create another album that 10, 20 years from now, people think is like the greatest big thing ever happened at the time that changed so many things. I mean, it's just unlikely anyone will think that anyway. You know, because he's he's still existing in his own realm of his own mind and experiences. You've already done it. In that regard, 
But that's no way you can't judge success based off of that. You're just not successful because this album's not as big as your as Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain was. You know what I mean? <clears throat> I, I think that what Jared was saying though is more that like so like when you look at like an Eddie Vedder, I'm sure that Eddie Vedder probably made good solo work, but nobody really thinks about like his solo work even in, in the same stratosphere as like a Pearl Jam. I would I say here say. here's what I, I just something just came to mind. Uh one of the only people in rock that I would say has had similar, if not yeah, let's just say the word similar. Similar success to the work that they did in their group as opposed uh, to their uh, solo is Trent Reznor. That's probably fair. Trent, I'd say Trent Reznor is probably on par, maybe not like chart-wise, but like he's getting Oscars, he's getting Golden right. Globes, like he's getting right. like great acclaim. A lot for his scores and that. But that's still success. Like, yeah, 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 I'm not talking. Like, yeah, yeah. So like, but I can't I agree really with you. think of very many other rock artists who left a group any kind of like similar success outside of that group from yeah. from rock standpoint i would really have to think hard to come up with somebody who did because i really do think i mean not you know not to spend a whole lot of time on this particular yeah. topic so no. i do want to wrap up but um I do think that there's merit to having a band there. There's a reason that it's a case that, and I get that Malcolmus is the kind of guy who would want a lot of creative control. The reason that you aren't the guy who has a ton of creative control is because rarely do all of your ideas work. Yeah. And when you're able to bounce ideas and be collaborative with other people musically, your music will benefit from that more often than not. Because when you have a lot of creative minds coming together, you make something a little bit more holistic rather than this is what I want to do. This is what I think is going to sound good. And so I'm going to do it now with no input from anybody else. So, yeah. Yeah, it depends. I mean, his solo career certainly is in between there. Yeah. So a lot of some of the things with the Jicks are more collaborative. Some of the things are less collaborative, this or that. The, uh, the album came out in 2009, uh, 20 last year. Uh, traditional techniques is collaborative it's a collaboration it's his album but there's no doubt on it is more than a guitar player that's the role he plays and so many of the things that he does at this point sure you know um so it just is kind of it's kind of like back and forth on that one uh steve Malkus did score a tv show on netflix i saw that what did he what was yeah. it called it's called flaked flaked huh i never watched yeah it. is it a cooking show it was okay well, no. that would be fun it's a show about Will Arnett being just sucking, but liking coffee and never being able to do anything, but for some reason can He's still He's a slacker? Shot. He is. <laughs> I've made, Full circle. I've made a terrible mistake. Yeah. Uh, Pavement has a song on Schoolhouse Rock Rocks. So they did a cover on there, which is kind of fun. Chavez also did a cover. That's where I first found that album, uh -huh. was because they did a sweet cover. Speaking of, pavement, speaking of cartoons, I don't know if this is your next one, but they were also on Space Ghost Coast to Coast. They were. They performed two songs written specifically for the show. Yeah. And they not only that, they were like actually like a part of the episode. I watched that episode um, a couple days ago. And like the whole idea of the episode is that Zorak was kind of like kicked off the band because he was being his usual self and that they replaced mm -hmm. his band with Pavement. The whole episode is literally called Pavement. Like it's not like a yes. like an untradition is named after them. So after them. He, they're they're pretty they're pretty like focal point of the episode and not just like we're performing a song. The other ironic part of of the entirety of the fact that it's named Pavement and that they're a big part of it is that they're uh they are misnamed when they're announced as the Beatles. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. They did do that. <laughs> he doesn't even announce them as Pavement. He announces them as the Beatles. Which is pretty great, too, yes. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Okay, that's my little fun bits, I think. But I do, I think, just briefly, mm -hmm. I want to touch on modern slacker rock or, like, where the genre is sitting. Sure. If you will. Yeah. I, uh, so, I do think that there is some relevance to that conversation, for sure. I think um, in terms of the more traditional what you would think of it in terms of tonality and everything. Yuck was a great, is a good example of someone who carried into the, the teens. And then I think um, some, a couple people that come to mind and I found this just cause I typed in slack rock into Google images just to be like, let's see what happens here um, is Mac DeMarco. That's where I was going to go. Yeah. Yep. 
which is more in like the attitude if you will than like the the tonality of his music he's way more jangly mm-hmm. for sure yeah it's kind of a melding of a few different things i think there's definitely some smith's type stuff going on in there yeah but i also do think that he has some moments of like the tonality kind of matching up with that like i don't i don't think that all of it does by any means uh, and I think he even he even will often get a little bit more um, psychedelic with his slacker, mm-hmm. which is an odd kind of like mixture. But I could definitely see some of his like very popular songs like uh, My Kind of Woman um, having kind of some of that um, pavement kind of sound to it. Yeah. A funny thing that or, just oh, literally oh, just ha- is another one, too. A funny thing that, that just happened this moment is I was looking at this Google image search and I saw a picture you know, you just see like the thumbnails until you click on it. And I thought it was Stephen Malkmus and I clicked on it and it was Mac DeMarco instead. Yeah. Yeah. And then I scrolled down further. Yep. Then I scrolled down and saw another picture of Stephen Malkmus wearing an outfit that is essentially the same as what Mac DeMarco was wearing in that picture that I thought was him. So that was kind of funny. Layers and layers. Uh, in this image that I also saw that I think is like reminiscent, but has more pop elements is Courtney Barnett. I could I could see some of that. Yeah, she has a little a little bit of that. I I struggle with that one though. I I can definitely hear it, but I don't know that I would say like, oh yeah, like it's very very clear that Courtney Barnett was influenced by Pavement. You know who else I saw on a thing uh, is a Baba Doobie. Oh yeah, or is it uh, Be Badu Bobby, a, a modern pop artist who had a TikTok song. I think it's Be Da Be da, Gosh, I don't even know how to pronounce. Let me. I have to look at it to make sure. B ba doobie. Is it B ba doobie? Yeah, that's what I said. B e a b a d o o b e. How else would you say it? other than Baba doobie? You ever listen to Baba yeah. doobie? Yeah, B ba doobie. I'm not. They're pretty good. Kind of a, a throwback to that sound. Uh, kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, uh, Alanis Morissette, kind of. Kind of in the same way where Soccer Mommy did that on our most recent album, kind yeah, of went yeah. in that same kind of like modern '90s kind of throwback sound. Which was, again, yeah. I do think that Pavement had a big. It was part a. In I saw a Reddit um, thread that was like bands that Pavement influenced, and uh, Parquet Courts was on there. Animal Collective yep. was on there. Uh, Mac DeMarco, who we all discussed, and then uh, Biba Doobie. I think Be-ba-do-be. that the the funny thing is too. And this is kind of my last thought too is that a lot of times now, which I think is always traditionally how things work, is that a lot of people don't even know like the layers of the influence. So like you would have somebody like a a B-Badoobie, a B-Badoobie, who was influenced maybe by alternative rock or uh, indie rock from like maybe the 2010s who were influenced by indie rock of the 2000s, who were influenced by pavement in the nineties, who were influenced by Sonic youth and pixies in the eighties who were influenced by like, there's so many layers backwards that somebody in 2021 is not going to know how to go all the way back for the most part. They'll know where their influence lie, but they won't necessarily know where the influences of their influences lie and you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. So that's kind of an idea I had of like, is pavement really like in a way the Genesis of this resurgence we saw in the late teens of lo-fi indie rock like sounds, right? Uh, Car seat headdress is kind of has some of that to an extent, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, is that is that really like can we it can it all just be tied back to pavement probably i don't know because i think the other thing too very briefly is is that i don't think that that sound of music ever necessarily went away in the underground so i think that there's a mild resurgence of course in bands like a or like you know music like a mac demarco or a car seat headdress and i think that that's obviously still in that underground ish scene of music but I don't know that I couldn't find it if I looked more in the early 2000s, the mid 2000s, yeah. the early 2010s. Like I think you could find some of that stuff underneath the surface really easily. I don't think it ever went away. So I think it's being mildly hipsterfied. Uh, that I could see for sure. Yes, if you would say, because I've seen I've seen some acts, like I've seen uh, an act actually at Forecastle a few years ago, um, at one of the smaller stages during the day. You know, so it's like not huge but it's big enough to be at a festival you know what i mean yeah uh named ron gallo who's a great guitar player they were really good 
but it's kind of like I, it's kind of, it's kind of like I haven't heard of him, but I knew people who were there. I could see people who were like, "When Ron's gonna come out here in a minute," and I like could hear them talking. There's a couple girls in front of me, and I just look at him and I just go, "What has happened to underground slackerness in this in this age?" Because it's like it seems hip, hipsterfied to where it's like it's not about not caring anymore. You know what I mean? It's about like it's about caring that you don't care. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Which is really the the essence of a hipster mentality, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's why I stay in the slacker world. Back off, everyone. Back off. Oh, here, here he is, the the hipster himself. I was, I was slacker before slacker was cool. Man. I didn't say that. I said I saw slacker and it looked cool, so I did it. Uh huh. Uh huh. Sure. But I don't want you to care about it, and I don't care about it. Yeah, you would never. And I don't care if it's time that we wrap up this show. Let's play the song. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Record Roundtable. This week, we talked about pavement. And next week, we're going to be talking about um, boy bands. Just kind of going in a weird general direction, unlike how we usually do. Expect Backstreet Boys in sync. Many, many others who we shall surprise you with next week. But those are the obvious ones. Check out our website, recordroundtable.com, where you will find all of our things. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>